Welcome to Mental Health Hour, the podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Kayla. And today we're on episode six, just like that. Um, first thing we want to do is we want to thank everyone for their wonderful messages um, on last week's podcast. It was it was a raw one for us, but we got such gorgeous messages. You know, everything from thank yous to I can relate to it and it's it's made such a difference to me. And, you know, every message that we get, we really, we read every one of them and we're just so thankful and grateful. So thank you all. So today we want to look a little bit at you, Kayla, don't we? A little bit. I feel like I'm I'm up up in the firing line. I'm 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 the target this week. You're the target. Now so you've had you've had a rough old week. I have. I haven't had yeah. I haven't had the best week. That's putting it lightly. Yeah. And I suppose for anyone that follows us, they'll know that weekly we launch a kind of a podcast, but there's been a gap of a week. Hmm. And we could have just rocked with that and gone, Okay, let's slide past no one might notice. But being I suppose we want to practice what we preach and we yeah. want to say okay let's be real about this let's talk about this you had a hard week so we looked at that didn't we yeah we did I just I suppose I wasn't in the place where I could authentically record so, like you know I could have shown up and I would have talked the talk and and whatever else but my head wasn't in it for lots of different reasons and Nothing huge, but something that all the same, um, I felt like, you know, I took a bit of a battering last week. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I suppose it's it's easy to brush over it, but I think it kind of, as we were talking more about it, we kind of said, you know what, actually, it might make sense to do a podcast on this. So, yeah, yeah, I think, I suppose the first thing for anyone that doesn't know Kayla is there's a lot of aspects to Kayla. So she's a lot of roles within her life. Um, you know, she's a researcher, she's a tutor slash teacher, a charity director, frontline responder. Uh, I wouldn't get you to read these out because you like, make me sound fab. fab. Yeah. The imposter syndrome is real. Know. <laughs> you know, partner, responder. Um, what else have we got there now? I'm definitely missing out on a couple. That's, that's enough. Your daughter, <laughs> your granddaughter. But what I'm trying to say here is, you know, all of us as professionals have different roles that we mm. play in life. And what happened to you last week was I kind of no offence here now but when I see your situation last week I see a tyre okay and one of the cogs on this tyre or wheel fell off right okay and what happened was it impacted every other cog on the wheel yeah it did yeah it did and it it had a knock-on effect so instead of trying to run the risk of a puncture down the road we decided you know and to I wanted to make sure you were okay and we'd go chat about this we will ease a little bit of the tyre pressure yeah. For the week. And we'll drive on, but at our own pace. So mm-hmm. we let the podcast slide for the week. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. It, it feels right. And look, I suppose you did you did take a lot of pressure off me, but it's. I think it's important if you are in a position where you work with people, I don't care what your job involves, but if, if it involves working with people, there will be times where it's helpful to have someone in your life that kind of just takes over a little bit and says, listen things aren't great at the minute and they just kind of swoop in and protect you and mind you for a little bit as much as people resist that I would be a resistor but when, once you let yourself have those vulnerable few hours or a day or whatever it takes you do come out feeling better for it all the better for yeah. it I did anyway and I suppose I feel weird talking about this without giving people context I feel like we should give people context but I'm not going to go too much into it one of the roles that I'm in that Katrina has highlighted and I suppose, again, it, it comes back to working with people. Um, when you're trying to do a job, 
you know why you're doing the job. It's the job assigned to you. It's a good job and whatever else. There will be inevitably some people who don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. And with that, they will have their own reasons for not agreeing with it. That's okay. But when when you come face to face with it and you're confronted with it, especially when it's a sensitive job that you're doing, it can throw you off a little bit and you can struggle with all these things like, am I doing it for the right reasons? Yes, I am. But maybe they're not the right reasons for everyone. And it just, it goes on and it can spiral out control a little bit. But that's the context that we're working in today. So a lot of you will know that I work in suicide prevention. I work in research and all these things. My research topic can be, for a lot of people, for a lot of reasons, sometimes very sensitive and they may not agree with it. And that's okay because they have their reasons for it too. So yeah, I took a little bit of criticism for that last week and that's okay look it happens it will happen again but I suppose it's just allowing yourself to go oh my god okay this is happening and just come out the other side of it and just work your way through it so that's the context absolutely yeah and the reason we we found it would be a really good time to actually focus on this is because as professionals a lot of people think oh they're bulletproof Mm -mm. they don't get wounded at all my god what would happen to them they're professionals yeah especially I find Mm. in suicide intervention work a lot of people think Ah, sure, nothing would rattle you. And and you know what? In the work, nothing really does. But that's not to say that when you're alone and you're decompressing after your day that you don't have some shaky minutes. That's it. I like It's that that kind of professional self-awareness, isn't Mm -hmm. it? And I know in college, um, you know, when you're doing your degrees, you hear all about self-care. And it's not all about that at the minute now. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being aware of what's happening inside you and of your past. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when you look at the self, you've got the physical Mm-hmm. You've got the mental, you've got spiritual, you've got emotional, you've probably about four other different types. And I think if one of them aspects is impacted, sure, it's just like the tire, it has a knock on effect. It does, it definitely has a knock on effect, especially I think a lot of people have different words and different phrases for things like this. But, you know, the one that always kind of pops up is your glass. You can't pour from an empty mm. glass or whatever your glass is overfilling. But it's important to know that 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 glass doesn't just get filled by what you do at work. Yeah, it gets filled from all the other areas that you've just gone through there as well. So if you're having a a difficult week at home in your personal life, it is inevitable, no matter how much we try, we are human, that it will spill over somehow into your work, hopefully not in a bad way or that will cause damage or anything like that. But you might just be a little bit sharper with your co-workers or, you know, you might just say, no, I'm not taking on that extra bit this week um, just because you don't have the, the, the mental space for it, I think. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be frontline. Like, you could nope. be in an office job and, you know, someone puts the stapler down the wrong way and you realise you might just staple their finger. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, hold it here now, Katrina. Something's going on. Your glass is a little full this week. Mm-hmm. And it's to have that capacity. And as we chat over for the next while, uh, I suppose it'll start to kind of solidify mm-hmm. what that looks like. Um, but Siobhan Murray, she's one of our followers there on Twitter and she's a professional that delivers, like, trainings in this area mm-hmm. and everything like that. And we tweeted during the week because we knew we were doing this podcast to know, you know, what does professional self-awareness mean to you? And she came back and I thought it was really, really well put. She said how my actions, words and emotions affect myself and others. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Like The others is often forgotten. Mm -hmm. That how we're feeling can impact others. Definitely can. You can. And you know yourself like based on your physical presence with someone, it might that could be the deciding factor between them opening up to you or not. Yeah. I think so. And that's exactly what happens. But I think it's important also to recognize there are other factors to the self that would, I suppose, impact if somebody opens up or not. And that might be nothing got to do 
with your mood or with anything else it just might we've spoken before about um therapy and seeking a therapist and how mm. it's like speed dating so it's like two people just might not click there's no hard feelings there's no there's no anything but that can be a part of it too i think and it's important to say that as well oh absolutely yeah and it's okay to ask for look can i speak to someone else i'm not comfortable absolutely. with absolutely you know if you're the person seeking help but like you can't really look at this without mentioning vicarious trauma yeah and for anyone that might be tuned in that might be thinking, what's that now? That What's that word about, you know? It's basically secondary trauma. So in hearing other people's traumas, we ourselves take on elements of that. Mm-hmm. And by its very core message, really, it's empathy, isn't it? Yeah. Like it is. It's your finding an echo within yourself of what that person has been through. Yeah, it's like a little sting or or a little nick that's left behind when you empathize with somebody I think yeah yeah exactly and the trauma I suppose that comes from that is you know if someone has been through something particularly difficult and it could remind you of something from your past Mm -hmm. it could remind you of something you came across and to to recognize that feeling even have you mm. ever had that happen to you Kayla? oh definitely i think i think every professional has i think even students who who are out in work placement i think that's probably one of the first places if yeah. if you're working with people or in the helping professions that's probably the first place you might mm. see a little bit of vicarious trauma um now this isn't to say that every social care worker or social worker is going around traumatized that's not what we're trying to say but what we're trying to say is that when people open up to you and they share something that has happened to them that they have been traumatized by yeah that in turn can have an effect in you that you might not recognize as trauma initially it could be just oh my god okay what do i say what do i do and you can get very very distracted by those things Mm. but yeah it's definitely happened for me once or twice only i would say and i think only for like you were kind of saying things that I could relate to or that I could find or see myself in. Usually for me, it's when I hear stories of children. Yes. And certain things that have happened in their childhood. And it's only because I can recognize that, Okay, that's my trigger. Mm. Um, I know for you, you would have completely different ones, Uh, but it does affect my work then. It's not that I can't work with that person. It's just I need to take a second in my own mind and say, this is what's happening. It's okay. We yeah. can deal with it afterwards. I need to be present with this person. That's you it. Know? Not letting it distract you from your job and saying, okay, I'm not forgetting about you, but yeah. I'm going to deal you, with you when we get out of here. Yeah, of exactly. And it's something that we often talk about in our trainings as well is Harry Ferguson's work. Social yeah. worker Harry Ferguson. And he talks a lot about how you feel and how you seem in a place. So say you go into a home for the first time. Let's take our line of work somebody is suicidal they reach out and we respond Mm. to them in their homes a lot of things in that new environment can distract you yeah not not that it has anything to do with vicarious trauma it's just i think it's a good one to kind of bring in here absolutely yeah so the smells the the difference in the air um you might see a toy on the ground that you used to have all these things can be very very distracting they can and it's just like that it's the same as vicarious trauma or something that's kind of throwing you a little bit when you're working with someone is to recognize it and say just what you said okay i know where this is going i'll deal with it later i need to be in the room now absolutely and i think part of that is are we aware of our own trauma histories i don't think so i don't think when people think of self-awareness even look at that Mm -hmm. and this is something i'm incredibly passionate about now and i want to change is that professionals start to look at their own histories 
Mm. There's this narrative out there that to be trauma informed, we have to know everything about fixing everyone else. What about you as the professional practitioner? Like you were the instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said there, if there's, oh, I don't know, like for example, I walked in home the other night and you were making something in the kitchen and I went, oh, I, I inhaled and I went, oh, Nina, soup, running track. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I was taken back. I was there in my shorts nearly on the start line and I was there. You know, but if I was on a scene with someone there now and something had happened back at Nina that time mm. and it was negative, that could distract me from what I'm doing in the situation. Yeah. So it's about, have you looked, like, have you ever looked at your trauma history? Um, Only when prompted by you, I think. Obviously, I would have been aware of it. I would have been aware of very certain things that could throw me when I'm working with people yeah. and stuff like that. Because through the self-development that we do in college, that's really, really strong. Yeah. Um, particularly within LIT now, too. But yeah, it was. it's only kind of when you prompt me to, I can see it, but you prompt me to go deeper and start poking at it. Yeah. Um, in a safe way, of course, you know. And yeah, I think I, I learn a lot. Drags you to examine your, your attachment styles, doesn't it? That's and the next thing I was going on to, yeah. Okay. The yeah. attachments, like, because if you've had, even how you were parented at home, right? Mm. The attachments you had with your parents, not you specifically now. Okay. You was in the whole globe. You were starting, <laughs> starting to look to attacked again. I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, but you was in the whole nation out there. Yeah. Uh, that can impact how you communicate with someone in a situation. So mm. if I have someone that comes in and reminds me, has the same mannerisms as one of my parents. Yeah. And say they have an authoritarian attitude mm-hmm. or style. That's going to trigger my submissive. Okay, quiet, Katrina, kind of, you know. Yeah. And it's being aware of these attachment styles that you've had throughout life and when they pop up. Mm-hmm. It's also being aware of not just attachments but anything that's happened in your past and I think it's hard to look at that and I think unless we're pushed we don't tend to look it's easier to look at the other person how do we fix them yeah I think it's something that if you are kind of into the whole reflective practitioner kind of thing and you journal I would do a reflective journal now journal in a bit something I hated in college when they kept talking about it but I, I really do see the value in it now and that's where kind of a lot of my stuff will come up that's where I'll end up thinking it through and go okay that's what it's that's where it came from and then I think it's way easier than to as you're doing that and you're processing then you can accept you can move on you can be aware of it for the next time I think that's that's underused reflective journey completely underused and for you I see it works really well yeah and I'm not uh, anyone who knows me would always say like I was the one saying yeah yeah okay we get it about the journal and just give it a rest give it a break like you know but I'm glad they didn't and I'm I'm glad I do it now because it does really help me. There's something in it about sitting down, writing and just letting it all out and then going and reading back on it and then you can actually trace it. It's it's real then. Yeah, it's real. Um, and it's logical and you can find a pattern. What it does is it brings the emotional into your awareness. So it brings what you're emotionally feeling into your cognition. So you can say, that's why I felt that way. Yeah, I think... You said something to me last week. Oh, jeepers. Um, no, it was really helpful. When I was journaling about all the situation that was happening last week, you said, if you really sit down and you should journal now about it, because the emotional will meet with the logical. Mm. And I had never thought about it that way before, because I was telling you I was in between two minds. I was like, logically, yeah, Katrina, I know that it's it's not wrong. And logically, I know all these things and it's good and whatever. And then emotionally, my mind frame was completely different. It was, but I feel terrible and all these things are coming. And you were saying to journal because that's where the emotional meets the logical. Yeah. And that was really helpful. 
Yeah, you it's concrete. You see it, you see. Mm. It becomes into your awareness. And it's only when it's in your awareness that you can actually understand it. Yeah. And digest it, which I thought it's, it, you know, it's the, it's the key part of it, I suppose. How many people as well, I suppose, if we don't look at our own traumas, right? And our own histories, not just all traumas, but our own history patterns and all that. Like, we don't really think, how is it going to impact others? Like, when they meet us, if they have a trauma and they're triggered, right? Mm. So they're dysregulated. And we come in and something's after dysregulating us because we're after remembering something. Yeah. Like, you're a chocolate teapot. You're going to be no use there, like. Yeah. It's fire meeting fire, really, isn't it? It's fire meeting fire. Like, how are you going to regulate the person? Mm. And I think, you know, from an organisational, cultural, global scale down... This needs to be embedded. Like we can't keep looking out and say, "How do we fix other people?" Mm. You have to start with yourself. Yeah, I suppose it's how you show up in situations as well. You just, you just reminded me of something. I was listening to a podcast. I was reading an article there a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember where in the US it must have been a podcast. I think because they were talking about school shootings and all the different things that kind of happened throughout mm. them, and they were highlighting a few teachers um, and a few experiences. But what they found, I think, somewhere was. A lot of how the children will respond to any now, let's just say an incredibly traumatic experience like that was by watching the adults reaction in Absolutely. the room. And I'm not saying we should all know how to stay completely calm in a situation like that. I don't I don't think I would. I, I can't understand it for the life of me. But certain teachers, when they take control of the situation and kind of give off the vibe as if nothing is wrong, mm. we're just going to do this. I suppose the children had a clear roadmap then of what they needed to do. Yeah, and it was Mm. very, very reassuring and it was easier to stay quiet in the room. And sorry, I don't mean to be bringing up something so traumatic and and whatever else. I just thought it was interesting. I think it speaks to that. Jeepers, I think it's important to bring in things like that. Yeah. Let's face it, these are all spoken about everywhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So you're not bringing up something that isn't spoken about. But it's very true. Like infants, they can't regulate themselves. It's Mm. the adult the primary caregiver regulates them and that goes on throughout life so if I'm dysregulated and we sit down on the couch at night and like you'll often say to me how is it you calm me down now <laughs> and all I might be doing is sitting there or it would be just funny thing and you're probably killing me enough for sharing oh, this no, but I'm just going to say it. if she's all amped up right I'll say give me your hand and she'll put her hand in my hand right and I'll start rubbing the top of her hand oh, and then so she'll annoying. go oh for God's sake because straight away <laughs> she goes calm and it's just you regulate the other person. And like you yeah. said, those kids are looking. You know, if a child drops something, the first person they look at to see is your reaction. Is this bad? Is it good? Are you going to yeah, laugh? Is yeah. it? They're gauging you. And we still do that with other people as adults. We do. It's just more, I suppose, it's it's shifted into our subconscious nearly. It's it's like an automatic reaction at that stage. Isn't That's it? it. And it comes back as well. Like, and it really points to behaviours give off stuff. Mm. So, you know, as professionals, behaviourally, what are you giving away? So if you're going into a particular facility working, where, okay, it challenges a lot of your self-beliefs, a lot of different things. You're fresh out of college. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start all this. Yeah. You go in with your arms crossed and kind of a stern body language. People are going to go, this one now. Yeah. And you know what? I think when you were talking like that, I, I'm brought back to working with young people. Mm. Um, I love it. I, I did it for years. I really, really enjoyed that work. But I remember a situation. Now, this other staff member was very, very nice. But they used to have kind of a stern demeanor with the young people, yeah. which I'm sure they had their own reasons for that. But I'll always remember one day I, I was sitting in the kitchen on the laptop just doing whatever I was doing. And that staff member was there and a young person came in 
and start to kind of give me out a drink there you effing whatever to the staff member and I was kind of like okay this young person's having a bad day we're just gonna relax and see where this goes and of course the staff member went off the wall and just walked out and slammed the door and that same young person came up to me because I was sitting and I was very relaxed Um. and didn't react they said hi Kayla do you mind if I get a glass of my waddy (laughs) and I was sitting there like (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's fine. Do you want Just a hand? That. <laughs> you know? But it was just, I think, like you're saying, it's body language matters a lot. And like I say, this staff member was a very, very nice person. I, I don't know. They were just feeling, they were stern in general, but it just must have been an off day. But that young person obviously picked that up because they were having an off yeah. day as well. And fire met with fire. That's exactly it. And you know, in some environments, that's very dangerous. Like yeah. if you take the prison environment, if you oh. went in now with that attitude, you could get attacked as a prison officer mm-hmm. um, because you would escalate a situation. Yeah. You know, you have to regulate it first and then you can look at reasoning. Yeah. Um, it's it's dangerous territory, I think, as a professional, if you don't look at yourself and if you don't look at every aspect of yourself. Absolutely. And I think a lot of professionals are slow to do it mm. because I think people feel like if they recognize something, when they're trying to be self-aware, it means I'm a bad person. It means I'm a bad professional. I shouldn't be in youth work. I shouldn't be in suicide prevention. That's actually not what it means at all. Not at all. It makes you better, all the better for it. Yeah. The other side of that, I think, is gut instinct as a professional. Oh, I um, love this. And you know, you say, I should have listened to my gut. Mm. We've had, I've definitely had that a couple of times now as a responder in the early days starting off. Um, yeah, you live and you learn. And now I really listen to my gut. Mm-hmm. Like I will pause now in some situations and go okay something doesn't feel right here yeah so we're going to come out of this and question it a bit do you find kind of the same always I have always found that I'm really really into gut feelings and I know there's no real hard and fast rules about it but I I think if your gut is telling you or if you're even your physical presence if there's something off your body will tell you um I've had it so many times and so many times I'm so glad that I listened there's been a few times where I didn't listen Mm. Not to say something really dramatic happened every time I didn't listen to it. It didn't. But if your body is telling you something's off, I guarantee you something is off. Yeah. Like the primitive part of the brain is the, it gets the information seconds before we cognitively get it. Mm. So it's telling you, boom, 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 alarm. Something's going on in this environment. Yeah. And you're going, ooh, gut instinct. What's that? Yeah. What's what's going on? What's going on? Ooh, interesting. But you're so delayed. And yeah. the alarm is just screaming at you to move or recognize. And it's funny when you explain it like that, like that's exactly what happens. Your brain is. is playing catch up to your belly. Yeah, always. And yeah. well, the brain is kind of ca- playing catch up to the inner brain, the reptilian brain, they call it. So mm. the baby part, the first part that comes when it's born. But God, you love this, don't you? No, I was just you love it. I'm just, I'm looking at your eyes and you're like, yeah, and it's the you're coming out with these words, your reptilian brain. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're you you really love this stuff, don't you? Oh yeah, I'd eat and sleep it like Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it makes perfect sense. That's mm. why no, it does, you it feel does. uncomfortable in situations because there's something off. It's like playing spot the difference and the reptilian brain has gone spotted Wally. Mm-hmm. There he is. Hello, pay attention. And that's yeah. kind of what it's doing. So I think it's really important. And then as well, like the physical toll all this stuff takes, like and not in a bad way, but just to give yourself the space to say, like what we did last week with you, Mm -hmm. you need to ease off. You need to do the more nourishing stuff, 
whether that's baking like a, me arriving I'm with a bag of veg for you to make soup or something yeah, yeah. It sounds like I'm a slave driver here now but <laughs> no you love cooking I do I, I love cooking and that's that's something I found was um and again with the sensory thing for me when I'm not feeling at my best I need good food I need soul food but mm. along with that I need the smells that come with it because as we were saying earlier on it takes me back to my childhood and reminds me of the smells like my granddad was always cooking there was always something cooking in the kitchen yeah. so when I came home I had good hearty meals and the smells around the house and stuff and it took me a while to realize that that's why I love it so much I like having the smell of home cooked food in the house because when my granddad did it I felt safe you know so, so it's, just it's going to ask what does it represent oh safety safety 100% yeah. safety like no matter what happened granddad was going to be cooking dinner and it was going to be delicious you know um and it's always happy memories as well. So I think later mm-hmm. in life we try and replicate those those experiences by doing whatever it is that somebody that we loved or looked up to did for us. Absolutely. You know, um, so yeah, I think it all ties back in together. People forget that we have all those different types of memories. Oh God, like you yeah. Have, you have your smell memories, you have your hearing memories. I remember hearing a, a hardback notebook fall one day inside <laughs> in a particular shop and it hit a tile floor and I dropped like I don't know, a sausage onto the floor. I thought there was a shot being fired. Oh. But what I'm saying is our brain remembers. And if it doesn't, our senses do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, You know, and that's why you have to understand in a classroom. You could be saying, oh, God, why did that child kick off? Mm. Someone could have said something. You know, they could have heard a car screeching outside. They could have heard a roar. It could be a particular smell that the teacher is wearing on their clothes has reminded them of a trauma. Mm. And I think that it goes unnoticed a lot. It does. And you know what? I think... Pop culture has kind of made it a bit hard to take these things as seriously as people should because, yeah. you know, you always see like PTSD representation yeah. in in pop culture, specifically in TV, isn't great. Like, it's, it's not miss. great. There was one we saw recently. I can't remember what it was. And we said that hit the nail on the head. Made? Made. Was that it? That it was fantastic. That yeah. was great. And you know what? People are going to say, oh, Kayla, really? Grey's Anatomy. Christina Yang had a role in that where she she portrayed PTSD and I thought they did a good job. Yeah, they um, did actually on that but one. But a lot yeah. of it is kind of like making a joke and even if it's not making a joke, it goes very f- surface level. So yeah. you'll hear a car backfire and you'll see a war veteran get really, really upset. I mean, yeah, we need those representations in, in TV and stuff, but come on, like get a bit. Make them educational yeah. as well. Yeah, and don't just always use that analogy. Like Like bring it in like children can display symptoms of PTSD and, and let's put that in the media so that the parents can see it and say oh and start to ask questions you know so yeah that that's that's one thing that kind of annoys me I think the importance of supervision and counselling as well is something that and you hear about supervision a lot in college don't you yeah you do yeah um, and when you're on placement I think it's something that if you invest in it yourself you get benefit from it um, but when you're out working as a professional you can really see the benefits yeah I think supervision for students on placement it's kind of not a realistic view of what supervision is Mm. because I feel like for a lot of people and I know a lot of my friends at college they said that supervision was kind of like a box ticking exercise that the supervisor would come and say how are you getting on great yeah I hate that you know Um, and then I think that can be really discouraging for people who think that that's what supervision is going to be like all throughout their career and it's not Mm. I've had some great supervision sessions um, even while, in, to be fair, while I was on placement, I had a few great ones like that were really, really useful. But I think the, the overwhelming theme is to make supervision work for you. Don't leave it up to the supervisor. 
yeah to guide it um if you want it to work for you you need to go in and you need to kind of take a little bit control i know mm-hmm. it might not feel natural but if you do you'll see a huge difference like that's it and go in with your own little list of what Absolutely. you want to bring up stuff you've noticed stuff that you think god would that work if it was implemented bring in ideas you mm. know um that's kind of as students but as professionals i think the yeah. importance of it is it will highlight your vulnerabilities it will highlight i suppose where you need to focus on yourself to help others and to help yourself yeah i think that's fair it it kind of brings you around to a clear picture not by telling you what to do but exploring what you've done and why you did it and maybe why it was helpful or why it wasn't helpful or why certain feelings came up for you it's very like counseling i think um where a therapist will just kind of guide you through your own brain mm. your own thought thought processes and then the two of you come out the other end and nobody has told anybody else what to do it's just it presents itself doesn't it totally totally and I think counselling, while it's some way a little bit similar, it's also very different. Yeah. Like you said, you have your own space, you have whatever. And I think it's important that, you know, it's not that, oh, yeah, I went to counselling there two years ago and I did four <laughs> sessions. That's not it. Like, no. you know, it needs to be ongoing. It needs to be reoccurring, consistent. It needs to be like a lover, really. It needs to be there by <laughs> your side the whole way through, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it does. Um, because it will, you need to lean on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think of... Lots of times where when when I found the therapist that worked for me and, and don't get me wrong, before I did, I went through many, many therapists. Um, but when I found the one that worked, I knew every week, no matter what happened, I had that time, I had that space and safe space. Yeah, it, it was. And it really, really was safe. So I think that you don't just get that as a luxury mm. as a professional. I think if you work in the helping professions, that that's something that does need to be ongoing. Look, we'll wrap up by saying we're on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at Mental Health Hour. You can look for us on LinkedIn as well. We're there. And we're also on Twitter at Mental Health underscore HR. Beautiful. Thanks. That was unreal. I was going to try and do the TikTok and the everything oh, else. Gee. And then I was like, no, I'll no, trip man. myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, thank you so much, guys, for all your support. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.